A friend of mine ten, uh, this week repurposed a famous song by Simon and Garfunkel. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Why are you here? It's 4 p.m. You've noticed it's getting darker, right? Every day is a little bit darker, and that's kind of a normal thing for Newfoundland. Uh, and honestly, as a Newfoundlander, I haven't made complete peace with this. I'm not actually a fan of longer nights. Uh, a few years ago, I found out that I am, in fact, a morning person. I, I try not to be, but I had to knuckle under and realize that I am a morning person. I like light. I like, actually, sunlight. I really enjoy it. It makes me feel better. I feel happier. And I, I actually wonder if I might have what they call seasonal affective disorder, because some, some, for some reason, when I turn on one of those light, those... Uh, sunlight things that uh, I actually feel better later in the winter. So I may actually have a problem with darkness, which makes winter an interesting period of time because it's getting darker, progressively darker. It will get darker until December 22nd, I've checked. And then after that, it will start getting lighter again. So there's some possible benefit coming ahead, but not quite yet. I say this stuff about darkness because you'll notice that the text we have this morning in Micah chapter 5, page 730 in your Bibles, is a Christmas passage. And Christmas, for some reason in the Northern Hemisphere here in, in the way we've done it, our forebears have placed our celebration of Christmas right after, at, right after the shortest day of the year. I think they intended that. Because there's a reason that Micah 5 says what it says. You'll recognize that Micah 5 is, from, is also quoted in the Gospel according to Matthew. It's an important passage. It's one of those things that, that we, why we understand that Jesus was born in Bethlehem is from Micah chapter 5. And it's important because... The time that we see in Micah here that, G that uh, Micah is prophesying to the people of Judah at the time is a dark time. And we know what darkness is. The figurative darknesses, by the way, are usually worse than the physical darknesses. You know what I mean by that, right? F uh, uh, figurative darkness? You know, like the de depressions you can go through? Sometimes, some of us struggle with real feelings of inadequacy, of uh, God not really working in our lives, of things not really going our way. Some of us have dealt with it for years. I know the feeling. Not anymore, but I, I remember the feeling. And there are, that's not the only darkness that people can deal with. Some of us have family members who are struggling with all sorts of problems. Some of us are dealing with jobs that simply don't fulfill us or even worse, harm us. We find ourselves damaged by work and so we are so happy by the time we get to Friday. Some of us uh, love school. Some of us, well, like me, kind of hated it. Ended up having to deal with high school and really, really loved the day that I walked out for the last time. I've never gone back to my high school. You see, we as a people living in a Genesis 3 kind of world, 
understand that everything doesn't work as we want it to. Reality is, darkness is a real thing. And part of the reason that we place Christmas, that Christmas is celebrated in the time it is, by the way, the Bible doesn't tell us what day Christmas is, so we can't really say that this is definitely the 25th of December, but we do celebrate it this time for a purpose, for a reason. And I think part of it is what we see in Micah 5. We're counting down to something right now. Starting next week, it's the, next week I think is the first Sunday of Advent of this year. And Advent means coming. It means the coming of Christ. We like to say that it's a countdown to Christmas, but it's not actually. It's meant to remind us that we are still waiting for something. That the darkness that we live in, the dark difficulties we have, the problems that we face are not ultimate. That something else is. Something else we see in the promise of Micah chapter 5. There is a brighter day coming. Not merely in the physical sense that summer will someday come back. I, I have it on good authority that summer will come back to Newfoundland someday. But in the figurative sense. Brothers and sisters, the ultimate message that I want to have today is to realize that there is a hope coming. There is a day when things will no longer be figuratively dark. The thousand slings and arrows that flesh is heir to will someday not anymore exist. And that's partially what we see in Micah 5. In case you're interested, you can go to Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 and read, it, read this. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them light has dawned. Matthew, by the way, is the same place where you will find Micah chapter 5 quoted. Matthew has an intention to explain to us that what is coming, who is coming, is the light of the world. Everybody in the Bible recognizes that what we see in Micah chapter 5 is a messianic prophecy. In Matthew 2 verses 1 to 6, they'll quote this. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When caring that Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And he told them, Quoting Micah chapter 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And it isn't just Matthew, by the way, who recognizes this as the point, just in case you're 
worried that, you know, I'm just using one dude? John chapter 7, verses 40 to 43 says this. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem? Again, this is why we talk about Christmas and the coming of Christ at Bethlehem, why it is so important. You see, the thing that we need to remember about what the gospel tells us is not that it says that, you know, we can overcome the the darkness, the, the darkness can be overcome. The fact is that the darkness will be overcome. Christ will overcome the darkness because after this darkness comes light. Reformers used to use this phrase, uh, post-tenebras lux, which means after darkness, light. That's actually a pretty deep statement because usually in the way we think of the world, we think after light, darkness. We, we tend to think that things are headed towards the negative. But the Christian message, the gospel message, the message that we see in Micah 5 is that darkness is not ultimate. Light is. Death does not ultimately win. Life does. Evil does not win. Goodness does. Satan is not the ultimate victor in in reality. God through Jesus Christ is. So where do I see this in Micah chapter five? I apologize for some of the inside baseball stuff here. I'm gonna do some quick review of some things that we need to understand and remind ourselves of. Uh, It's also a bit of a shameless plug for the Bible Fast Forward Sunday School class that I will be doing again in January. So in case you're interested, if you remember the the time period here, and I just to set this up in where it is. So after the three kings of the United Kingdom of Israel, which were Saul, David, and Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split into two parts, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. As time went on, History was not kind to the kings of Israel. They were not actually good kings. There were some good kings, there were some bad kings, both for Israel and for Judah. But there came a time that God finally decided enough is enough. And there was a defeat of the northern kingdom and all of the people of the northern kingdom were dispersed. It was called the Assyrian dispersion. Keep in mind the word Assyrian for a moment. It'll be important. And then after that, about 100 years later, there was, and you can see this in 2 Kings chapter 25, chapter 17 and 18 will tell you about the coming of Sennacherib to take over the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom, in, by the time we get to, number, to 2 Kings 25, ends up being completely destroyed as well and going into exile in Babylon. We talked about that, by the way, when we looked at uh, Micah 4, where where it says pretty directly, and they will go into exile into Babylon. You will go into Babylon. 
which is interesting because Micah is being written at the time of the Assyrian overcoming the northern kingdom, not the time of Babylon. So the situation is this, as, you can, as I can say, you see in verse, uh, in chapter 17 and 18 of 2 Kings, the northern kingdom of Israel, the, the separated people from the southern kingdom of Judah, they, were not, they didn't get along, but they were considered brothers of one sense, separated brothers, but brothers nonetheless. And they wa- the southern kingdom watched as the Assyrian empire took town after town after town after town of the north, defeating their brothers and sisters in the north and sending them into exile far away to be dispersed among the peoples. Worse, Sennacherib has also invaded Judah. And again, town after town after town has fallen. And now the armies of Assyria are on the doorstep of Jerusalem. As it says in Micah 5.1, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. It is a dark time for Judah. It is a very dark time. A time that we really don't quite grasp because we live in a very generally safe part of the world in a generally safe time. The leader of Israel seems to be helpless before the armies of Sennacherib. And so many places have already fallen. In fact, if you read the the, the story that happens in 2 Kings at this point in history, it's, it's so horribly bad that the, 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 the Assyrians come to the door and say, guys, you should not submit to your God. Do not trust in your God because your God can't save you. Did the gods of any of the other nations save you? Save them? No. So why do you think your God will save you? Now, it's not this story, but you know, just to let you know, that is not the end of the, of the situation for the southern kingdom. The Assyrians are not the ones who overcome Judah. It's the Babylonians about 100 years later, like I said. God will deliver his people this, at this point for the moment. But that is not what we see here. It's going to get darker for the southern kingdom. But in the midst of this, Micah gives a very simple prophecy. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, say it loudly and with confidence, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler of in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up to, until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. 
and they shall dwell secure, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. There is a ruler promise. There is a time coming when this will end, when the subjugations of the people of Israel and of Judah will end, and it will end in a person, one person. We know a lot of things for, about this person based on the text. First of all, he's a ruler sent of God. He shepherd, notice it says, he shepherds the flock in the strength of the Lord. Uh, and again, to you know, agree with my friend Derek on this point, uh, it says the Lord, it's all caps Lord. That, sh- that should be understood as Yahweh, the proper name of God in the Bible. He shepherds the flock in the strength of Yahweh. Contrary to the kings that have gone before, to the kings that they've had uh, over them, trying to just simply maintain control over the kingdom to benefit themselves, there will come a king who reigns in the strength of God. There, there's, a, there's an allusion here to someone who's contemporaneous with Micah, vaguely, a guy named Isaiah. If you look in Isaiah 7.14, the, 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 the Bible says this, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. You've heard this before, by the way. It's in Handel's Messiah and everything. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's what you're seeing alluded to there when it says, and therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. He's talking about the same guy, the same ruler that's coming. Third, we know that he will, re- he will unify the people of God. It says that his brothers will, shall return to the people of Israel. We know that in faith, we are grafted in to the people of God, if you look through Romans, and that is going to happen, that God is going to reconcile everyone to himself in this person. Fourth, this person, this ruler of Israel, will do all of these things, not for his own glory, not for his own power, not for his own might, but for the glory of God. He will do this in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty and name of the Lord, his God. Again, all caps, Yahweh, his God. His coming is from ancient of days. Now, there's a couple of ways you can read that. The standard Jewish way of reading that is that this Messiah, this, this one who will come, is from the line of David, someone who has been put together from the ancient of times. But there is another person called the ancient of days. That is God. This person who comes, this promised Messiah, this promised ruler, comes from God.
I think you may recognize who I'm pointing to now. I hope. I hope if you've been around churches for a while, if you've been part of the, you know, kind of build up around Christmas, you know the person I'm talking about. There will come a king. Despite the darkness that Micah is facing, that the people of Judah are facing and will continue to face, despite the fact that it will get darker and that there will be, they, they will be handed over to their enemies for a time, there will come a day when the virgin shall give birth and his name shall be called Emmanuel. There will come a day when one shall come to shepherd my people Israel. We don't know if it's December 25th, year zero, but we do know he came. But more than that, verse, Micah verses, chapter five, verses five and six, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. By the way, just before you get too much into the numbers there, that's a standard Hebrew idiom in poetry to say a, perf a perfection of numbers, an adequate number of princes will be raised up against him. Or uh, They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Now, Again, this is probably figurative. Assyria is the enemy they know. The enemy that they're facing right now, the ultimate enemy again of, of Judah is going to be Babylon, but they recognize this enemy here. It's, it's the same way that we would talk about, you know, uh, I don't know, standard evil group now. I think it's Nazis would be the one that we tend to say about any evil person is apparently a Nazi. Well, at this point, any evil person was an Assyrian. And yet, what the promise is, is that there will come a day when God will use his people to rule over those who are evil. He will use his people to do the things that need to be done and to actually work his way out. God uses his people to do his work. These princes that were raised up, these people that will be raised up are people that God will send out to do his work as we are sent out to do God's work through Jesus Christ. You see, this prophecy has been, at least in part, fulfilled. Despite the fact that Micah is writing again, a hundred years before the Babylonian exile, which he also correctly prophesied. There came a day when a virgin conceived and gave birth to a son in Bethlehem. It was from, well, it was from God. It was from, he is, comes from ancient of days. He works together to work all things for his glory, for God's glory and our good. 
You see, Jesus was the ruler who brings people together as one family of faith. As it says in Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 5, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ fulfills the prophecy of Micah, not just being born in Bethlehem, but also bringing people together, people from tribes and tongues and nations, people who have faith in God, who by faith in God are, as it says in Romans, grafted into the vine of Israel. And we are one in him. Second, he acts in the power and the glory of God. John eleven four. But when Jesus heard it, he said, "This illness does not lead to death." Get the remember the situation. The, he's, Jesus has heard that his friend Lazarus is about to die, and Jesus responds this way: "This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God." so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Sounds like Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about there because, you know, Lazarus actually dies. Yet, as Jesus says, this illness does not ultimately lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. How does God glorify God? How does Jesus glorify God through it? By the power of God, Jesus calls Lazarus forth from a tomb so that people can see the glory of God and praise God for it. Look at Micah again. Micah, said, Micah 5 says that in the power of, and for the name of God, he will do all things. This is Jesus. And Jesus saves his people and he is their peace. The prophecy in Matthew chapter 1 when, we're ta- when they're talking about who Jesus is. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And again, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Jesus. Emmanuel. Brothers and sisters, it is clear that the prophecy of Micah in chapter 5 is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Partially. Partially. Well, fully, ultimately, but partially so far. The reason I say that is because We're a very temporal people. We like to, you know, deal with the things in in the time periods that they're going along. We imagine that God hasn't acted unless he's already acted. We can't really believe that God has fulfilled things until we can see in the past that God has fulfilled them. 
Brothers and sisters, there is a calling in seeing what prophecy does. Prophecy's role is not merely to tell you about the future. This isn't about making sure that you've got graphs and lines and timelines to be able to tell you whether those Apache gunships are the locusts of Revelation, whatever. Prophecy is designed so that we as the people of God can see and be reminded that God is working through history and the story's not done yet. Brothers and sisters, we live in the middle of this story. God is presently working through Jesus Christ to bring to fruition all the prophecies we see in Scripture including Micah chapter 5, because this King Jesus, who in the first century AD walked around Palestine and saved people from their sins, is still saving people from their sins and will ultimately come again to bring the final fruition of all of the prophecies to bear. There will come a day when his glory will cover the, cover the world. There will come a day when he will be our peace and there will be complete peace. There will come a day when sickness and death and tears are no more because they found their end in Jesus Christ. There will come a day when darkness ends in his glorious light. You see, this is not merely history. This is a history that helps us be reminded that God is still working today. You see, the point of Advent is not to remind us that Christmas happened. It's to remind us that because Christmas happened, Christ's return will happen. It is more important than that. It is more important than making sure we get gifts on, the, on Christmas Day. Those are signs of things, but let's not miss the sign, in the signs, miss the message. You see, this is not merely history. There will be a future coming of Christ. God was faithful to save his people and come in salvation. His promises have been fulfilled partially so that we know Right now, as God works, his promises will be fulfilled. God has been faithful in the past, so we know that he will be faithful in the future. John 14, 1-7, Jesus is speaking here. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to pre and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas, dealing with this, said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would know my Father also. For now, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
Christ is coming back. He promised it. Even more powerfully than hearing the prophecies of God through Micah, we should recognize the prophecies of God through the lips of God himself in Jesus Christ. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. This is extremely important for the way we live as Christians. This is where I'm going to get into the applications. And they're pretty simple applications. And I I think these are important things for us to remember. Christ is greater than the problems we face. Just as the promise of Christ was better in the time of Micah than the problems that Judah faced, greater than the problems that Judah would face for the several hundred years from Micah to the beginning of Jesus' time here on earth. Christ is greater. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1-4 to four says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many prophets, have, false prophets have gone out into the world. We can be pretty messed up in trying, in trying to understand things. By no, this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which as you've heard is coming, is now and is in the world already. And of course, before we get all messed up and you know, trying to figure out how to make sure of this, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. It, notice the, temp, the, the tense here. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Calvary Baptist, there are issues that we will face. There are problems that we will face. You will have to rebuke me of my sin. I will have to rebuke you of your sin because that's the way it works. There are times I will face all sorts of sufferings and problems, and you will too. If God tarries, ultimately, we will all die. But that is not ultimate. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Today, you may be struggling with addictions to different kinds of sin or problems. You may be dealing with uh, problems in your own life and things that you don't even recognize yet that you need to repent of. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We may actually be facing a period in in Western history where the, the Western world is going to come down hard against the church. Possible. I'm not a prophet, so I can't tell the future. But I can tell you what other prophets have said. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know what? Brothers and sisters, today, no matter what problems you face, I am not going to minimize your problems. They are probably very dark, just as the situation that Micah faced from the Assyrians was very dark. 
I don't know what you're going through, but I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, God does, and he's greater than your problems. God has not been snowed. He is not surprised. He is not overwhelmed by your problems, even as we feel overwhelmed by them. And it's true whether we feel it or not. Uh, Sorry, I've got time, so I'm going to just go on this quick excursus because I I have this problem that I I deal with. One of the things you may need to rebuke me from. Have you ever noticed that most of us in this world tend to follow our feelings a lot? We imagine that our feelings are ultimate. You will say, I feel this, and therefore that must be the truth. Your feelings don't tell the truth all the time. Your feelings need to be subjected to the truth. My feelings need to be subjected to the truth. I I need to remember that because my feelings can be very strong, and I'm sure you guys know the the way feelings can be very strong. If you've had the long, dark night of the soul kind of experience, where you honestly believe that nothing could ever go right ever again, and, and again, it's a feeling. It's not logical, it's not rational. It's also not correct. Because your feelings are subject to reality, not vice versa. Your feelings are not reality itself. They are a response to reality. There's sometimes a good response to a reality, there's sometimes a bad response to reality, but they need to be brought in subjection to reality. And reality is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is greater than everything around you. He's greater than your struggles, whether you feel it's true or not. By the way, this is why as Christians here at... at, uh, at Calvary, we give you Bibles. We don't, we don't try to ramp up your emotions per se because we want to make sure that your feelings are based in truth, not your, that you try to discern your truth based on your feelings. Because it doesn't work that way. Our feelings are not great things to trust. So whether or not you feel it, Allow me to repeat a few things that you may need to remember that are, in fact, facts and don't care about your feelings. One, God loves you. Whether you feel it or not, Jesus Christ is open and willing to accept you, whether you feel it or not. You can place your faith in him and be accepted by God, whether you feel it or not. You not only deserve love, you have love in God, whether you feel it or not. Your sin is not adequate to overcome the grace and mercy of God, whether you feel it or not. Ultimately, good will win, whether you feel it or not. Because the application, too, 
Our deliverer is coming. If you are in Christ, you are his people. The deliverance of Christ is for you. Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Would you have these promises? Do you find yourself right now desiring to have the promises of God fulfilled in you and in your life? Become people of God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Really is that simple. And if you do have your faith in Jesus Christ, you are one of God's people. Whether you feel it or not, because your feelings are fleeting. The truth of God is eternal. So right now, as we face the time that we're facing, we're going to be facing winter and Newfoundland, Newfoundland's winter is not fun. It's going to get progressively darker for the next month or so. And then it's going to get colder for another couple of months. We're gonna have rain and snow and sleet everywhere. That's gonna be horrible. Not a fan of winter, just sorry, not a fan of winter. Uh, I'm a bookworm, I sit in my house and I read books. I don't, I don't do the snow thing. But even more, I'm gonna warn you, there are going to be problems in your lives. People are going to let you down, it's gonna happen. People you love are going to fail you, it will happen. We can trust, if you trust in money, if you trust in stuff, if you trust in anything other than God in Jesus Christ, it's gonna fail you. Ultimately, your health will fail you, regardless of how much you exercise. Your health will fail you. But Christ won't. And if you have faith in him, you are accepted by him. Because ultimately, our problems, no matter what problems we face, no matter what difficulties we face, have a time limit. They will end. There will come a day when all of the problems that right now seem so insurmountable to us now will be in a rearview mirror. Even if they last the entire remainder of your earthly life, there will come a day when all of your problems will be in the rearview mirror. Because our problems and struggles have a time limit. The grace and mercy of God doesn't. And because of that, because of the fact that God will bring all things to fruition in Jesus Christ, there will come a day when he comes and all things will be made right in him. We can say with John the Divine in Revelation twenty two twenty and say, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, this, the truth is far greater than we can imagine. 
Lord God, I, I know it's hard for us sometimes to believe the sheer immensity of your goodness and mercy upon us. So Lord God, I pray that you would give us the strength to believe you, to trust you. Lord God, as my brothers and sisters today face the rest of the week and their lives out in the world, I pray that you would work in their hearts even now. Convict of sin, but more importantly, convict of your goodness and glory and majesty and of the fact that salvation is still available even now, regardless of the mistakes we've made, regardless of the problems we've had. You still rule and reign over all things, and your goodness is ultimate, even as we feel that the darkness is. Praise you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray.